Good morning, church. Okay. Two people had their coffee this morning. One more time. Good morning, church. Okay, there we go. There we go. I know it's been um, quite a week. Uh, I know for myself it's been. uh, This week I was in four different states, and so it has been a busy week, but I'm glad to be back. I had an opportunity to be with some great people um, from the covenant, and uh, Pastor Mike Thomas, who just did the video for the men's retreat, he was one of them, a brother, friend, brother from another mother. I'm grateful uh, that he'll be here speaking into the life of the men at Newcom and then joining us that Sunday. So uh, run, don't walk, to fill up those last, how many spots was it I heard? Seven. Seven spots. So, yeah, not applicable to me, but you may go. Can I crash? Is that a thing? Can I be nosy? No, no, it's a, it's a pass, y'all. Ladies, I tried. Um, the ladies are like, no, we are happy to send the men. <laughs> Glory to God. Um, but good morning. We are jumping into our sermon series, Check the Source, where we are talking about the I am statements of Jesus. We will be in John chapter 6 this morning. And I just wanted to tell you to buckle up. We'll be reading uh, quite a few uh, verses this morning, or at least referring to a few. So if you are a note taker, uh, feel free to take those notes. Or if you just want to listen and go back and watch later, you can do that as well. So John chapter 6, verse 32. Okay, so y'all, I sent in the verses this morning, um, and so I don't know the, know the protocol around that yet, so I, I figured that by faith, I turned around to see, okay, I got to figure that out, <laughs> but John chapter 6, verse 32, uh, New Living Translation, grab your gadgets, um, or if you are old school, you got your paper Bible with you on this morning. <clears throat> Verse 32, John 6, and it says, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, my father did. And now he offers you true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty, (coughs) excuse me, be thirsty again. But you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. Let's pray right here. God, we thank you so much that you are a good father. You love to give good gifts. We thank you for the gift of this day, God. It is a precious day, and we are grateful, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you, God, for already moving in this space this morning, for carrying us, God, to this point in worship, God. And so we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you come in this place? Would you change us, challenge us, draw us into deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And we all say together, Amen. So here we have those 
famous I am words, uh, many, uh, well, several of the I am statements, but here's another one where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I don't know about you, but I love bread. So clearly that means I love Jesus. But this, this statement here follows one of Jesus's most famous miracles. It is the feeding of the 5,000. And while I could focus primarily on his bread of life statement alone, there's enough there for us to do that. I believe this statement, this story is um, more multidimensional. Um, it holds the truth of this statement, which, like I said, in and of itself is enough. I am the bread of life. But the preacher in me, the teacher in me, um, wants to draw more out. I could simply talk about the provision of God and God's ability to always give us exactly what we need and when we need it. But I don't want uh, the word or the message this morning to be your average kind of plug and play, right? Plug in the right equation and then boom, everything plays out the way it ought to be. God said, you know, he'll do this thing he would provide. He would uh, show up for us in many ways. If anybody is familiar with that good old gospel singer, LaShawn Pay, she said, just because God said it, that's enough for me. But sometimes it's not enough for God. <laughs> sometimes it's not enough for God. And you may be wondering, what does that mean? Well, this story, the feeding of the 5,000, it shows us the necessity of human agency. Yeah, I'm going to draw it out in a minute. Trust me. You've heard me say, or at least I think you have, um, or I'll say I've said this before since I've been here. I often quote St. Augustine's line where he says, without God, we cannot, but without us, God will not. So I want to share with you um, my favorite account of this blessing uh, uh, of this miracle, rather, before we get to the words where Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I want to talk about the miracle for leading up to it because it'll even give us more understanding why Jesus says what he says. Now, this miracle where Jesus feeds the 5,000 is told in all of the Gospels, but perhaps my favorite account of the telling of that story of the feeding of the 5,000 is the one in, in, in the uh, Gospel of Mark. Now, in Mark, it reads a little bit different, and it gives us some different information. But essentially, if I could just recap that story without reading the entire thing to you. But in the Gospel of Mark, the disciples had just kind of returned from this ministry trip, if you will. They had been doing ministry. They were worn out. They were tired. They were exhausted. And then all of a sudden, this crowd shows up. It was something that they hadn't anticipated. They, they weren't looking for that. As a matter of fact, they were ready to go and rest. It was no doubt that they were tired. They were in need of rest, all of those good things. And, you know, Jesus is saying, you know what, fellas, I agree with you. It has been a long day of ministry. Let's go and get some quiet time. And as they're doing that, though, as they're on their way to wind down, if you will, to retreat, to take some time, 
Um, all of a sudden, this crowd is following them. Jesus sees the crowd and he takes compassion on them. He begins performing miracles, doing all of these great things and teaching scripture. And so now as the day is progressing and time is getting late, the disciples look around and they see they are in the middle of nowhere. So they turn to Jesus and say, we better wrap this up. We probably need to do the benediction and dismiss this meeting. We, we got to get going, Lord. Let's raise the offering and move on. I'm just kidding. They didn't raise an offering, but you know, uh, they, they need to wrap things up. And this is what they're telling Jesus. They say, Jesus, you know, we, we got to let people go. Let's let them have enough time to get to the local markets and eat. They need to eat. So Jesus sees the disciples' response as a learning opportunity. Now, this is the account in Mark. Jesus looks at them, and in Mark chapter 6, verse 37, as the disciples are concerned about all of these people eating, Jesus looks at them and he says, you feed them. You feed them. I love the way Jesus is constantly inviting us to engage in opportunities to learn something. So he tells his disciples, you feed them. Now, this moment is imperative because we're about to see the disciples respond to Jesus's instructions. Here they are. They are tired. They are worn out, exhausted, and they themselves are hungry. And Jesus tells his followers you feed them. <laughs> now, this is how the Lord works sometimes when we are depleted, when we are empty and we feel like we have nothing left to give. He sometimes just looks at us and says, it's not about you in this moment. You feed them. Now, part of the reason why Jesus takes compassion on the crowd, because they are like sheep without a shepherd. They need to be fed. They need to be nurtured. And what is our call as Christ's disciples? What is our call if we say we love Jesus? It should be the same as Peter when he has uh, that conversation with Jesus. And Jesus asks Peter, you know, after Peter has denied him and goes back to fishing because he doesn't know what to do. Jesus asks Peter, he says, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And then Jesus says to him, well, then feed my sheep. He asked Peter this question three different times. And three different times, Peter says yes. And Jesus' response is pretty much the same, where he says, take care of my sheep. This is not only an affirmation of what Peter is capable of doing. This exchange and dialogue bears witness to a greater truth that Peter in this particular instance, when I was talking about Peter, he, Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, you are capable. You are able to do all 
things. So I can only imagine in this miracle with the feeding of the 5,000 that Jesus still understands this about his disciples, that they are able to do all things, but the disciples don't understand that about themselves. They feel weak. They feel worn. And in this moment, Jesus says, you feed them. I believe Jesus is sharing a principle about human strength, a principle that outlines us similar to what we see from the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, right? Paul says, it's not that I wasn't ever in need, for I've learned how to be content in whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing. And then sometimes with everything, I've learned the secret. And every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty one, whether I have plenty or whether I have little, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. There will be times that Jesus will invite you when you are feeling weak and depleted to still move into a place of action, not because you have it all together, but because he knows that you are able. I'm sure Jesus knew in the moment where this miracle is about to take place that the disciples don't feel capable. They don't feel able to do it. So, and you know, it, it, and, I'm, and I know that's the case because if we were to continue to read uh, in the Gospel of Mark the story, when Jesus says to them, You feed them, they respond back with a very logical answer. <laughs> they say, With what? I got none left. No energy, no time, no money, no food. What, give them what? The disciples are panicked. They're looking around. They're looking at Jesus like, you know, we have nothing left. They start looking at how they can do things, you know. They go, you know what? We, we don't have anything. These people, uh, to feed them all, we'd have to work for months and months and months to earn enough, to buy enough food to feed all the people. Isn't that the case when we are presented with a problem or an issue or a circumstance that seems incomprehensible? We begin to try to figure it out in our own strength. And it almost feels like, God, this is a conundrum. How is it that you're inviting me into this space, yet... I don't feel capable to be in this space. And simultaneously, you're telling me that I am capable. You want to empower me to do something that I can't even comprehend where and how I begin. <laughs> well, here's the thing. In this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus knew that they didn't have enough when he asked them to feed the sheep. He knew that they didn't have it, but here's what Jesus wanted them to understand, that they didn't have enough, but with him, they were about to have more than enough, more than enough. See, the key to understanding God's provision is understanding that we actually don't have enough. 
No matter how much we have, we don't have enough. And this is what Jesus is attempting to get across to the disciples, what he wants them to realize. He wants them to realize, you know what, in and of your own self, you don't have enough, but with me, you have more than enough. Because I am your God, I am your provider. With me, you have more than enough. That was lost on them in the moment because they were uh, completely depleted. They were tired. They had had a long day. And can I tell you something? Sometimes when we are exhausted, we miss God, even when he's right in front of us. When we're tired and exhausted, when we travel to four different states, but we get into the house of God, we can miss God because we're so tired, we're depleted, and we forget that we are in his presence. That in and of myself, I cannot do it, but with him, I have more than enough. One of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. I have everything that I need. He makes me to lie down beside still waters. And there's the key, y'all. There's the key. He makes me to lie down. He leads me. He guides me. He knows where to bring me. There are places in our lives that God will bring us that does not make any sense to us. But God says, if I have led you there, there is provision there. Because where God guides, he provides. And in whatever God calls us to do, we have to trust that he'll take our not enough, not enough understanding, not enough patience, not enough words, not enough wisdom, not enough time. He'll take our not enough and make it more than enough. After Jesus asked them <laughs> to feed them, you know, they, they do, they try to figure it out. You know, we read in the various gospels, many of you already know the story probably, they try to figure out how we're gonna make this happen. And then all of a sudden, you know, they come up with five loaves and two fish. And this is where I'll pivot back to John's account of this story because John's account is the only one that mentions this little boy. <laughs> In John 6, in the same story of the feeding of the 5,000, it says in verse 4, I'm sorry, in verse 5, Jesus soon saw this huge crowd of people coming to look for him, and he turned to Philip and he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? See, it's a little bit of a different account. And then it says he was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough to feed them. And then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He said, look, there's a young boy with five barley loaves and two fish. And then as soon as he said it, he goes, but what good is it to this crowd? Sometimes when we dig through and we recognize that we do carry something, we do have something, we go, well, what good is it? 
in this context? What good is it in this crowd? Is what his disciples says. And, and, and let me just take a minute to talk about this part right here, because again, John's account is the only one that mentions this little boy, and Andrew's response to what the little boy has. Some scholars kind of elaborate on that, and some scholars uh, speculate, and they say, perhaps when Andrew is saying, hey, here's this little boy with five loaves, two fish, but it's not enough. Some scholars think, well, maybe he's recalling a story. Andrew is the one who pointed this out, this story in the Old Testament. Maybe he's thinking about that when he makes this comment about it's not enough. Now, we find this particular story. You can write it down if you want. In 2 Kings chapter 4, and I'm going to read it really quickly to you because it's such a good story. 2 Kings 4 and 42, it says, One day a man from Belshalish, that is a town to be from, praise God, bought the man of God a sack of fresh grain and 20 loaves of barley bread made from the first grain of his harvest. Elisha said, Give it to the people so they can eat. Verse 43, what? His servant explained. 500 people with only this, but Elisha repeated, give it to the people so they can eat. For this is what the Lord says. Everyone will eat and there will even be some left over. And when they give it to the people, there was plenty for all and some left over just as the Lord had promised. What is the connection you ask? What is the connection between this miracle in the Gospels and this miracle in the Old Testament? What's the connection? Some scholars believe that perhaps Andrew brought this up thinking about this miracle that Jesus is about to, is, is really just kind of alluding to that he could perform. He may be thinking about this story and going, you know, well, when it happened for Elijah, it was only about a hundred people that got fed. Surely, that miracle can't be produced, reproduced on such a grand scale. It was fine when it was 100 folks in the Old Testament, but 5,000, I'm not sure about it. Let me say this. If God did it before, he can do it again. That no matter the situation, if God has performed the miracle before, he can do it again. And just because we have never seen it does not mean it is not possible. Scripture even says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor has it entered into the heart of man what he has prepared for those whom he loves. God is able to perform foolish blessings in your life. I'm a witness to it. God has done things in my life that don't make sense, and it is the same God that I serve that you serve. So I can tell you with confidence this morning from this pulpit during this message that God is able to perform foolish blessings in your life. Blessings that are ridiculous, blessings that are silly, blessings that don't make any sense, that are absolutely 
absolutely absurd when we try to think about it. He is able to reconcile the most broken relationships. He is able to heal the most broken bodies. He is able to restore the most broken minds. He is able to mend the most broken hearts. He is able to do that. He is God. In Luke 4:18, Jesus says, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. The time of the Lord's favor has." Come, I believe that and I want to speak that over us as a church, as a people, that the time of the Lord's favor really has come. To those of us who have been faithful, favor has come. To those of us who have not given up, favor has come. To those of us who have decided to bloom where we are planted, favor has come. To those of us who have cried, to those of us who has waited patiently, favor has come to those who have believed without wavering. Favor has come. Those of us who have bought the little that we have, the little time, the little energy, the little resources, the little money, favor has come. In this feeding of the 5,000, when they presented the little boy who only had a few fish and a couple loaves of bread. <clears throat> when they said, Jesus, what good is this little bit of resource that I have? Jesus said, sit down, let me show you. I know you don't think you have enough, but let me show you. He directs the disciples, he says, tell everyone to sit down on the grass. We're gonna have a picnic. We're gonna sit down. And Jesus takes the loaves and he gave thanks to God and he began to distribute them to the people. And afterwards he did the same with the fish. And the gospels tell us that they all ate as much as they wanted. They all ate as much as they wanted. I'm taking us back to Jesus as I am the bread of life. They all ate as much as they wanted. When you are in a position and in a place like these disciples and it, it feels overwhelming and it is incomprehensible, do what Jesus told the disciples and the people there to do. Sit and be filled. 
And sitting is not about inactivity. When I say sit and be filled, I mean it is about a posture. Man, it is about a posture of waiting that God, I'm going to wait on you. I am going to trust and be filled. I am going to wait and be filled instead of running and attempting to find out the answer and make it make sense, to make it all add up when the math is not mathing. <laughs> because five fish and two loaves of bread do not add up to feed thousands of people. But when the math isn't mathing, Jesus gives us the same instructions. Sit and be filled because I am the great provider. I will take your not enough and make it more than enough. See, God isn't just a God of enough. He's a God of more than enough. So he performs this miracle on this large scale, feeding people till they did not even want anymore. They didn't need a to-go bag. They ate and they were full and they were filled and they were sent on their way with this fullness. And people still were like in awe of Jesus. They are following him and they are going, hey, we want more of what just happened. And Jesus said, good. He said, because I am the bread. Y'all see how he did that? He talked to them through their stomachs first. The way to our hearts apparently was through their stomachs on this day. Jesus said, I'm glad you want more. He says, I am the bread of life. And then check this out. He goes, whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. He switches the conversation. He goes, I've met a physical need, but now I want to introduce you to what it means to be filled spiritually. I am the bread and you will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then he goes, but you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. Jesus is so kind. He is so compassionate. He is always teaching us. Part of the miracle in this 5,000 being fed is not simply the 5,000 being fed. It is the lesson that the disciples even see in that moment. It is the lesson that the people learn in that moment that he is miraculous, that he is good. But they still didn't see the entire picture of the Savior. And this is why Jesus has to tell them, I am the bread of life. There's more to what I'm offering. And people missed it. They were like, oh, in this wonderful, this miraculous thing, he, fed, he feeds us. He gives us stuff to drink. I mean, this is amazing. Truly, he's a great prophet. Jesus goes, you missed it. This isn't about me just being a prophet, right? Jesus tells them, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life that comes down from heaven. He says this even after performing this miracle that does not make any sense. He performs that miracle, and you know what? People still don't believe him. They're, they're mummering, is what Scripture says. They're, they're going, well, wait a minute. 
How is he the bread that came down from heaven? Isn't he Joseph's son? We know his mama and daddy. No, he can't be the bread that comes down from heaven. Jesus is showing them a lesson in this moment. Jesus is saying to them simply, stop looking for signs that you're in the right place when I've already shown you that you are. Stop looking for signs that you're in the right place, that you're doing the right thing. Because Jesus tells them you're in the right place. You may be even going the right way, but you're looking for the wrong thing. Can I tell you what we look for will make or break our experience? If there are any married folks listening or in this space, you may have experienced this to be true. You're in the right place, but when you start looking at the wrong things, then all of a sudden you think you're not in the right place. You're in the right job, but you're looking at the wrong things. And all of a sudden, you think you're supposed to leave that place. You're in the right church. But then all of a sudden, you start looking at the wrong things and go, am I where I'm supposed to be? You're in the right place, but you're looking for the wrong things. Jesus goes, you're right where you're supposed to be. But they were still looking for, for bread and fish like they were just fed. And Jesus says, go deeper. Go after a feeling that will fill you up for the rest of your life. Come and drink from a well that never runs dry. I am the bread that comes down from heaven. I fill in the blanks to your story. I provide unlimited fulfillment and satisfaction for your souls. I am the bread of life. And he is so faithful. He is so kind. He is so compassionate that he feeds us physically, but then he feeds our souls, that he teaches us about who he is, but then simultaneously he teaches us about who we are with him. There is no greater affirmation than to be able to be with Jesus, walk with Jesus, talk with Jesus, and know, God, thank you for affirming that I am in the right place. Because when I look at the right thing, I know that you've placed me exactly where I'm supposed to be. Because sometimes, just real quick, just a little word of affirmation. When we start looking for the wrong things, we'll be unhappy with where we are. And I mean this even in life. If we were just to look at social media alone, the phenomena of social media, <laughs> we become dissatisfied with the lives that we have 
because we're looking at the wrong thing. We become dissatisfied with the resources and the blessings we have because we're looking at the wrong things. But what happens when we change to look at the right things? Jesus invites them, just don't look at the meal and the spread that I provided because that was just temporary. But look to me. And that is our invitation this morning that Jesus wants us to look to him, the bread of life, who is able to fully sustain, able to fully satisfy, not just providing food for our bodies, but food for our souls. The bread of life is about soul food. This morning, as we come to the table and partake in communion, I want you to know that it is about soul food. Would you mind passing me that loaf of bread? I would be adventurous and try to climb down the stairs in this, but I don't want to embarrass myself in these shoes. Uh, thank you. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Look to me for all fulfillment, for all peace, for all joy. I want you to hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ as they are delivered by the Apostle Paul. For I received from the Lord what I have also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. <laughs> He broke it, and he said, this is my body, this is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this, and as often as you drink it, drink in remembrance of me. For as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This morning as we partake in the sacrament of communion, we'll grab these cups and you'll see a little wafer and you'll peel back that film and you'll partake of the wafer. And the wafer represents the body of Christ broken for you. You'll peel back that next film and you'll drink the juice and remember and know that it represents the blood of Christ that was shed for you. So this morning I say to you before we come and partake of communion, I invite you this morning to come to the sacred table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify not that you are righteous, but that you are sincerely loved by our Lord Jesus Christ. 
and that you truly have a deep desire to be his disciple. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on the grace of God, but because in your frailty and sin, you stand in constant need of God's mercy and help. Come not to express an opinion, but to seek God's presence and pray for the Spirit to be ever active in your life. Come this morning because you believe in the true fulfillment of Jesus when he says, I am the bread of life. I invite you during this time to come casually. There are no directions. You can just come up as you are led, grab the cup, and when you return to your seat, you can partake in that. And then after everyone has moved through um, and gotten it, we'll come back up and conclude service. You are welcome to come to the table.